Good afternoon. I'm Dr. Peter McCullough, and I'm an internist and cardiologist and professor of medicine at Texas A&M University School of Medicine. I'm on the Baylor Dallas campus, uh, and I've been integrally involved in the response to COVID-19. Uh, now, um, the opinions I'll express are those of my own and not necessarily those of my institution. Um, I can tell you that in my field, I'm an academic doctor. I see patients, but I'm very involved in research. I'm an editor of two major journals. Uh, in my field, I'm the most published person in my field, which deals with the heart and the kidneys in the world in history. And when COVID-19 hit, I saw it as our medical Super Bowl. And there were going to be doctors like Dr. Urso coming out of wherever they worked to face the virus. And there were doctors in the hospital that just had to receive the virus. And then there were those who headed for the sidelines. And then there were those that were uh, detractors against the pandemic. And so as I started to survey the literature, um, I had patients with heart and lung disease who needed urgent treatment. And I refused to let an illness, which lasted for two weeks at home, before they got sick enough to be hospitalized, I refused to let a patient languish at home with no treatment and then be hospitalized when it was too late. It was obvious. That was obvious in April that that was the case. So I used the best tools or drugs available at the time. And these are appropriately prescribed off-label. Remember, a label is an advertising label. A label isn't a scientific document. Sure, it's, there, there, it's an appropriately prescribed off-label use of conventional medicine to treat an illness. And I, uh, in May, I put together a team of doctors because the, the, the group that was facing the pandemic to the greatest degree was in Milan, Italy, so most of them were in the Coracle Italian Research Network. We summarized uh, all we knew about the available drugs, and we published our findings in the August uh, uh, 8th issue of the American Journal of Medicine. And the title of that paper was The Pathophysiologic Basis and Rationale for Early Ambulatory Treatment. And it had a premise. There's two bad outcomes to COVID-19, hospitalization and death. The second premise, if we don't do something before the hospitalization, we can never stop it. We can never stop it. And I have to tell you, when I, and I was the lead author in that paper, but we had dozens of authors from Italy, uh, India, UCLA, Emory. We had the best uh, institutions in the United States. I can tell you the interesting thing was there was 50,000 papers in the peer-reviewed literature on COVID. Not a single one told a doctor how to treat it. Not a single one. When does that happen? I was absolutely stunned. And when this paper was published in the American Journal of Medicine, it became a lightning rod. Oh my gosh, it became the most cited paper in basically all of medicine at that time. The world started, and, and boy, the world started knocking on my door. And I said, oh my Lord, I just can't believe what became untapped. And um, I had never been on social media before. Uh, and uh, my daughter, uh, who was home from law school, was talking to her about it. She said, well, why don't you make a YouTube video? So I made a YouTube video with four slides from the paper. This is a peer-reviewed paper published in one of the best medical journals in the world. Four slides. I even wore a tie and a suit, and she showed me how to record it in PowerPoint, and I posted it on YouTube. It went absolutely viral. And within about a week, YouTube said, you violated the terms of the, of the um, uh, community. 
And that's when Senator Johnson's office got involved in Washington and said, oh my gosh, this is important scientific information to help patients in the middle of this crisis, and social media is striking it down. Based on what authority? Well, one thing led to another, uh, and I became the lead witness for the U.S. Senate testimony of November 19, 2020. And the reason why there was Senate testimony is because there was a near total block on any information of treatment to patients. A near total block. And so what had happened over time is that we had gotten into a cycle in America uh, of no information on treatment. Patients actually think that the virus is untreatable. And so what happens is they go out to get a diagnosis. Now, I'm a COVID survivor. My wife in the galley is a COVID survivor. My father in a nursing home is a COVID survivor. You get handed a diagnostic test. It says, here, you're COVID positive. Go home. Is there any treatment? No. Is there any resources I can call? No. Any referral lines, hotlines? No. Any research hotlines? No. That's the standard of care in the United States. And if we go to any one of our testing centers today in, the, in Texas, I bet that's the standard of care. I bet that's the standard of care. No wonder we have had 45,000 deaths in Texas. The average person in Texas thinks there's no treatment. They honestly think there's no treatment. They don't even know about these EUA antibodies. You heard from a 90-year-old gentleman who got bamlanivimab. Terrific. Where's the focus? There's such a focus on the vaccine. Where's the focus on people sick right now? This committee ought to know where all these monoclonal antibodies are. They ought to know where all the treatment protocols are. They ought to have a list of the treatment centers in Texas that actually treat patients with COVID-19. So I led the initiative. The second paper was published in a dedicated issue of reviews in cardiovascular medicine. Now I had 57 authors, including Dr. Urso, Dr. Emmanuel, uh, uh, lead doctors in Houston, San Antonio, all over. And it was, it was another worldwide paper. And now we have it updated, integrated. So yes, we use drugs to affect viral replication. The antibodies are terrific. We can use intracellular anti-infectives in that box. Uh, we use corticosteroids and inflammatory drugs. The best anti-inflammatory drug is colchicine. You've probably never heard about it. In the largest, highest quality randomized trial, over 4,000 patients, double-blind randomized placebo-controlled trial, there's a 50% reduction in mortality. No word of it. None. Complete block to anybody, colchicine. How can that be? How can that be? And then the most deadly part of the, the viral infection is thrombosis. So I have always treated my patients with something to treat the virus, something to treat the inflammation, and something to treat thrombosis, just as Dr. Urso had. And I have very, very sick patients, and I've lost two. But I have to tell you, what has gone on has been beyond belief. How many of you have turned on a local news station or a national cable news station and ever gotten an update on treatment at home? How many of you have ever gotten a single word about what to do when you get the hand of the diagnosis of COVID-19? No wonder. That is a complete and total failure at every level. Okay, let's take the White House. How come we didn't have a panel of doctors assigned to put all their efforts and stop these hospitalizations? Why don't we have doctors who actually treated patients get together in a group and every week give us an update? Why didn't we have that? Why didn't we have that at the state level? Zero. Why don't we have any reports about how many patients were treated and spared hospitalizations? From all the, I listened to six hours of testimony today. Zero. Zero. We have a complete and total blank spot on treatment. It is a blanking phenomenon. 
At least in the United States, there's some heroes. Now, the American Society of Physicians and Surgeons took the lead. They're the group. They've identified 35 treatment centers in Texas. They know who they are. They have emergency hotlines. Uh, they helped uh, Dr. Hall put together this uh, very brief pamphlet, but there's more an extensive one. We can pass it around to everyone that at least gives people half a chance to find out about information. Okay? Uh, this is a complete and total travesty to have a fatal disease and not treat it. Now, the National Institutes of Health and the Infectious Disease Society of America started putting out guidelines of the treatment of COVID-19, and to this date, they nearly exclusively deal with a hospitalized patient. The two papers that I have published as the lead author and supported by wonderful people by Dr. Urso are the only publications in the peer-reviewed literature that tell doctors how to treat COVID-19 as an outpatient based on the support of scientific information, the only two. The Home Treatment Guide by the American Physicians and Surgeons is the only source of information available to patients on how to treat COVID-19 at home. The only source. So what could be done right here, right now? There's going to be more people that die in Texas, and it's an absolute tragedy. How about tomorrow? Let's have a law that says there's not a single result given out without a treatment guide and without a hotline of how to get into research. Let's put a staffer on this and find out all the research available in Texas, and let's not have a single person go home with, with a test result with their fatal diagnosis, sitting at home, going into two weeks of despair before they succumb to hospitalization and death. It is unimaginable in America that we can have such a complete and total blind spot. I blame the doctors for not stepping up. Where was the medical society stopping up and putting effort on this? How about from the federal and state agencies? There never was a single bit of group collaborative effort to stop the hospitalizations. Nobody even kind of thought about it. Bob Hall had me on a teleconference in, in April or May, and we're like, wait a minute. How come? Where's UT Southwestern? I'm a graduate of UT Southwestern. Where's A&M? Where's the rest of the universities? How come we're not stopping this? How come we are not stopping this? But it gets worse. Because in the paper I published in December of, uh, of 2020, you know what he did? I had, I had a terrific uh, doctor from Brazil. We went through country by country by country and just asked the question, what are other countries doing? When was the last time you turned on the news and ever got a window to the outside world? When did you ever get an update about how the rest of the world is handling COVID? Never. What's happened in this pandemic is the world has closed in on us. There's only one doctor whose face is on TV now. One. Not a panel. Doctors, we always work in groups. We always have different opinions. There's not a single media doctor on TV who's ever treated a COVID patient. Not a single one. There's not a single person in the White House task force has ever treated a patient. Why don't we do something bold? Why don't we put together a panel of doctors that have actually treated outpatients with COVID-19 and get them together for a meeting? And why don't we exchange ideas? And why don't we say how we can finish the pandemic strongly? Isn't it amazing? Think about this. Think about the complete and total blind spot. So what happened, I can tell you what happened. What happened in around May, it became known that the virus was going to be amenable to a vaccine. All efforts on treatment were dropped. The National Institutes of Health actually had a multi-drug program. They dropped it after 20 patients, said we can't find the patients the most disingenuous announcement of all time. And then warp speed went full tilt for vaccine development. And there was a silencing of any information on treatment. Any. Silencing. Scrubbed from Twitter, YouTube. Can't get papers published on this. You can't, we can't even get information out in our own medical literature on this. 
There's been a complete scrubbing. So this program has been one of try to reduce the spread of the virus and wait for a vaccine. And when we, va when we vaccinate, all efforts have to be on vaccination. And probably if I had four hours of vaccination on here. Think about it as we sit here today, the calculations in Texas on herd immunity. The calculations are we're at 80% herd immunity right now with no vaccine effect, 80%. And more people are developing COVID today. They're going to become immune. People who develop COVID have complete and durable immunity. And a very important principle, complete and durable. You can't beat natural immunity. You can't vaccinate on top of it and make it better. There's no scientific, clinical, or safety rationale for ever vaccinating a COVID-recovered patient. There's no rationale for ever testing a COVID-recovered patient. My wife and I are COVID-recovered. Why do we go through the testing outside? There's absolutely no rationale. I'd encourage this committee to actually look at what's being done and ask, is there any rationale? Is there any rationale for anything? L listen, there's plenty of COVID-recovered patients. Let them forego the vaccine and let people who are clamoring for it get it. But at 80% herd immunity, in the vaccine trials, fewer than 1% in the vaccine and the placebo actually get COVID, fewer than 1%. The vaccine's going to have a 1% public health impact. That's what the data says. It's not going to save us. We're already 80% herd immune. If we're strategically targeted, we can actually close out the pandemic very well with the vaccine, but strategically targeted. People under 50 who fundamentally have no health risks, there's no scientific rationale for them to ever become vaccinated. There's no scientific rationale. One of the mistakes I heard today as a rationale for vaccination is asymptomatic spread, and I want you to be very clear about this. My opinion is there is a low degree, if any, of asymptomatic spread. Sick person gives it to sick person. And the Chinese have published a study, British Medical Journal, 11 million people. They try to find asymptomatic spread. You can't find it. And that's been you know, one of important pieces of misinformation. When Senator Hall called a conference call of what should we do in the Capitol when we reopened, I said, you know what? You know what we do at Baylor? You walk in and they zap your temperature. You got a temperature check and go in. Do we test everybody who walks into the Baylor Hospital? No. Are they a lot sicker than everybody in this room? You better believe it. So why would we do something here at the Capitol that has absolutely positively no scientific rationale and then do it in this context? So my testimony as I sit here today is COVID-19 has always been a treatable illness. A very large study from McKinney, Texas, another one from New York City, show that when doctors treat patients early who are over age 50 with medical problems with a sequence multi-drug approach with the available drugs, uh, four to six drugs that are available uh, uh, to them, now the monoclonal antibodies are better, there's an 85% reduction in hospitalizations and death. 85%. 85%. I want you to remember that number. 85%. We have over 500,000 deaths in the United States. The preventable fraction could have been as high as 85% if our pandemic response would have been laser focused on the problem, the sick patient right in front of us. We were focused over here and focused over there and focused on masks and what have you. Laser focused. Sick patient. Treat them. We lost focus on the most fundamental so, thing. Dr. Uh, that's, my, that's my testimony. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Um, I, I can tell how passionate you are and certainly uh, have been a leader in talking about 
preventive uh, protocols and also the ambulatory stage. And I do think that that has been missing, uh, and it, it's been a concern because COVID-19 is going to be with us, right? I mean, it's, uh, you know, I hope we're at 80% herd immunity. I don't know yet. I'll, I'll read your papers, but um, I appreciate that. And the message is, is that there are drugs out there that work. Uh, there are therapies out there that work.